Well, when I was in seminary and going through the ordination process to become a pastor, I was forced to answer a lot of questions about what was, what was termed my call. All the time in seminary, it seemed like, and on the floor of presbytery and different meetings, the question would be, tell me about your call to ministry and God's call on your life. How do you feel like you're supposed to be called to ministry for your vocation? I mean, just all the time, call with uh, conversation with seminary admissions counselors, professors and classmates denominational committees on the floor of Presbytery. Jordan, what's your call? Tell me about your call. Yesterday was the five years uh, anniversary of my ordination. So I was thinking about this as stuff popped up on my social media pictures from that day. Um, five years I've been a pastor and uh, it's amazing to me how much I don't use the language of call anymore. Like, like the sharp contrast, right? Of being in seminary and talking so much about God's call in my life and God's call for ministry. And then going into the church and the language of call just doesn't seem to be around. I mean, the one, what's the one time we hear about call is sort of jokingly, right? You see somebody, they pick up something good that they don't normally do and you say, oh, you, must, you may have missed your call in life, right? But we don't honestly think about call. And so I want to I take a look at call in the Bible, because I think God calls us as a group of people, as a church, as families, and sometimes as individuals to do things for Him. God has a call and a leading in our lives. And so, so what I want to do over the next seven weeks is take a look at call stories in the Bible. There are these great moments in the Bible where from a burning bush or Samuel in the middle of his sleep, um, Jesus calls on us. He calls people to do stuff. And so by looking at the call stories of the Bible, I'm hoping we can talk a little bit and think a little bit about how God calls us in our lives to do things. And today we're going to take a look at probably the first real big calling of the Bible. And that is the calling of Father Abraham. Or as he's called in this story, Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out before, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward Negev. 
Here ends the reading of God's Word. This is only the 12th chapter in the Bible. So you've got to understand the, the context so far, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He makes this world. He calls it good. But then something happens. We call it a fall. Adam and Eve, sin and their separation between God. It's, the Bible says that they were suddenly naked and ashamed. They understood their flaws and their weaknesses and they hid from God. They're forced to leave the garden. Within a generation, Cain kills Abel. Within another couple generations, sin is running rampant. What will God do about this sin problem? And so God sends a flood, starts to clear the slate, but still sin persists. In fact, sin gets worse and worse. If you think one person can do really bad stuff, you should see what groups of people are capable of. Right? So God confuses the language at the Tower of Babel. The story is escalating, you see. This sin problem is getting worse and worse and worse. And the question in Genesis, the question of the whole Bible, in fact, is what will God do with this sin problem? And in Genesis chapter 12, the story pivots. It sort of zeroes in on this one particular family. In fact, right now, this one particular guy, Abram. He's 75 years old. His wife was barren, so they had not had any children. Barren women in, in the Bible, by the way, is something that, that comes up again and again and again. Have you ever noticed that? People who can't have children. And it's a symbol. It's a symbol of God's uh, questioning. Where's God's blessing? Where's God's provision that we can't have children? And then, in most of the stories, we find that God does bless, even sometimes at an old age, with a child, that God's provision still comes. And that story starts, that narrative starts right here. Abram is living in modern-day Turkey, probably, in his father's house, but his father has now died. He has another brother who seems to be living, according to the text, and yet another brother who has also died, but his other brother had a son named Lot. And so Abraham takes Lot in basically as his own son, which would have been important because he doesn't have a son to take on the family name or the family business, the family property. Okay, you didn't have a business in those days. You had your property, right? So you had your grain or you had your uh, sheep or you had whatever fields, vineyards that you would support your family and the people that lived in your household, the people that worked for you. And so it was very important that you'd have a son that you could pass that off to. And Abraham has this nephew, Lot, that seems to fill that role for him. But then one day, he hears a voice from the Lord. We don't know if he sees God. We don't know if it's a dream or if it's uh, something live, you know, if God appears before him. We don't know if it's just a voice while he's walking around in the field one day. We don't know about Abraham's faith at all. Is he someone who has prayed? Does he, does he worship the one true God? Does he, has he heard God's voice before? We know nothing of his faith. We know nothing really of his background except of his family. And the Lord tells him to go and leave his country, his family, and his father's house. This would have been a very scary proposition if you were Abraham. The house of your father would include his wealth, his field, his flocks. It's the family business. To leave that is to leave all your security. 
To leave your ability to provide for your family and those that work for you. Okay, to leave and not totally know where you're going. And not totally know how that's all going to work. You don't just have money in the bank you can withdraw or you can bring your checkbook with you as you travel. Okay, it's not like that. You have a little bit of money, but most of what your wealth is tied up in is your land and your livestock. To leave your father's house would also mean to leave your family gods. Okay, you would have in those days statues to different gods. Statues to the sun god, statue to the moon god, statue to the god that brought prosperity, to the, to the god of thunder. Whatever those were, you would build in your house statues to those gods. And to leave your father's house meant to leave those gods behind. To leave those gods behind and to go follow who knows what you're doing. Like there's an old rabbinic story. It's not in the Bible. Old Jewish teaching story that says that when Abraham went to leave his father's house, he took an axe and he chopped down all the wooden gods that were around in his father's house except for one. And that one god, he took the axe and he put the axe in the hands of the wooden god and then left. And the family came home and looked around and said, what happened to all of our gods? Our household gods are all destroyed. And Abraham walked in and said, well, I think it's pretty obvious what happened. This God that has the axe destroyed all the other gods. And uh, the family said, that's just a wooden statue. That statue couldn't destroy all these other gods. He's just a piece of wood. To which Abraham responds, then why do you worship him? The Jewish understanding has always been that Abraham, in leaving his father's house, leaves the worship of all these other gods for the one true God. And we see right away two important lessons about following God's call in our lives. When God calls us to do something, when God calls us to be someone, we notice two things right away in the story of Abraham. First of all, and this will drive you crazy, but God doesn't give him the whole plan. What does God say? Go to the land that I will show you. To the place that I will show you. Well, Lord, I can't really put that in the GPS, you know. Lord, I need kind of a destination to know where I'm going. But God doesn't give Abraham that. He doesn't tell him where he's going. What he says is, go to the place I'm going to show you. And I'm going to give you this land to your people. Well, what land, Lord? Well, you've got to go on the journey and find out. Abraham does not get a destination. You understand that? He gets a direction. And he's got to march and find out where that direction takes him. And that is often how God's will works. I wish God would give us the whole plan. But what he gives us is a step. And we've got to take it. And he gives us another step. And we've got to take it. And it's much more scary. And it's much more frightening. Because I don't know the whole plan. But that's what it means to trust and to follow God. To step out into the great unknown. But we also see that God's call is often not just one call, but two calls. Well, you notice with Abraham, I want you to leave the household of your father and go to the lands that I will show you. There's a leaving and a going. Very often when God calls us to things in our lives, he calls in both directions. Not always, not always both. Not always with the same volume or the same level of seriousness. Not always at the same time. But very often when God calls us to do something, it involves two sides. It comes in stereo. 
you got to leave these behaviors because I need to do this. Okay? You got to leave this job because I want you to do this job. Okay? You got to abandon this relationship so that I can give you this relationship. Okay? You got to give up on your desire for X because I want to give you Y. And very often when God calls us in our lives, as tricky as it may be, there's often both of those a call away and a call to. And so often we grieve what we leave instead of seeing what God's giving us. Okay, and we do this even with good things. You ever get a really good job and you're still sad to leave the other job? Okay, you ever, you ever had that, that experience of, man, God, you're doing something new, but I still sort of miss the old I was familiar with. God often calls us that way with a, with a leaving and a direction. And so in our lives, we need to learn to listen to both of those things. When God calls us to something, it's often to stop something to start something else. And we've got to hear both those things. So God calls him to leave his father's house and to go to the land that God will show him. But he doesn't tell him where it is. He's got to go in faith and see where that is. But at the same time, God gives four promises to Abraham. And let me read them again. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The first promise is I will make you a great nation. This is God's promise to do something big and lasting. Big and lasting. This must have been crazy talk for Abraham. Okay, Abraham's 75 years old. Okay, his wife's about that age. Okay, you mean we're going to have a nation? It must be through Lot because we ain't having kids. Okay, how could he believe the craziness of this talk from God? I could see him wondering that. Wondering how it could be because I'm the same way. And I bet you are too. When God starts to lead us, we often can only see what we want right now. We see our limitations and we want answers to what's going on immediately. Lord, just answer this. But God has such a longer term vision than us. He can see so much more than us. What we want is relief in the moment, but God is brewing something bigger. The first promise is that God will do something big and lasting. This promise isn't even just for Abraham. It's for his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids and this whole big family thing. We think too small with God, but often God's call is way bigger than we can even imagine. The second promise is, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is the promise that God has your best at heart. God's calling doesn't always seem like that. Doesn't always seem like a good thing. Sometimes God calls you to very hard things. In fact, if you follow the story of Abraham, he gets into some very tricky situations. It's very difficult, the road. It would have been much easier to just stay in his father's house. Doesn't always seem like a blessing to get bad news, to get a bad diagnosis. Or when God calls you to do something that's going to require you to really work or to really look foolish. But God will do what's best for you. That's the promise that God has for Abraham. He will bless you and make your name great. You don't have to worry about your name. You don't have to worry about your reputation. God's got you. That leads into the third promise. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. This is God's promise to fight for you. God's got your back. When you follow God's will, you better understand, the world is not going to like that. Okay, when you really decide you're going to follow God's will, you're going to listen to God's calling, the enemy is going to say, I don't want that guy or that gal following God's will. Okay, when you follow God's will, you put yourself at odds with the world. And guess what? It doesn't always go well. And people aren't always going to like it. Some people will support you, but others will not. How scary it must have been for Abraham to leave all that he knew. His extended family, his friends, his neighbors. How many people tried to talk him out of it? Abraham, what are you doing? Don't go. Don't, just some voice told you to go. You're going to abandon all that, all your security. What's going to happen to your family? You got no land where you're going. You don't even know where you're going. You got no way of supporting all these people in your household. Why would you do this? And yet, God says, I'll defend you. I got your back. Those that curse you, I'm going to go at. Those that bless you, I'm going to support. This is a big prayer, by the way, of David in the Psalms. <clears throat> David always feels like he's got enemies surrounding him because he does. And he's always praying to God to fight. Okay, to be my strong arm, to be my deliverer. All, read the Psalms. You get down, feel like the world's against you, start reading the Psalms. David feels that all the time. Again, he prays and prays and prays for God to fight for him. God will fight for you. You don't have to worry about what other people say. As the great philosopher of our day, Taylor Swift said, haters are going to hate, right? Haters are going to hate. People are going to hate. They're, they're not going to like when you follow God's will. You've got to trust that God's going to defend you. And I've seen so many Christians start to follow God's will and fall off the wagon because they feel they've always got to defend what they're doing. You've got an audience of one in your life. You keep that audience of one happy and let everybody else fall where they lie. The fourth promise is in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the promise to bless the world through you. God does not bless Abraham or you or me just for our sake. We are blessed to be a blessing. God's will is never just about us. His calling is never just about your life. It's about a whole world. God's got a whole big thing going on in this world. And when God calls you to something in your life, He's calling you to something way bigger than your life. He's calling you to bless the world because He loved the world so much He gave His Son for it. So you should love the world. And you should expect that when God calls you to do something, if God calls you to do something and the only reason to do it is selfish, that is not God calling. Okay? God's calling is always for something bigger than yourself. So Abraham is called to do hard things. But he is also given some great promises. And we don't get in the text to see Abraham's response. We don't get to hear it, see his face. We don't get to hear what it was like to tell his wife what we're going to do. Can you imagine the conversation? Honey, uh, walk around the field, I heard his voice, and we're going to go. Well, where are we going? Well, I don't know. Well, that's just like you to drive and not know where we're going, right? I mean, how'd that conversation go? We don't know. We don't know how long it took him. We don't know how long it took him to accept this word of the Lord. What Lot felt like? What other people in his household felt like? Do you know what Abraham's doing? He's taking us, and we don't know where we're going. He leaves the familiar. 
He leaves what is safe, and we're just told that he goes at 75 years old into the unknown to become a great nation, even though he has no children, to find a land he doesn't know where it is, that he has no way of conquering. How's God going to give him this land? And he travels through the land that would become Israel, and God says to him, to your offspring, I will give you this land. Imagine walking through somebody else's yard. And God says, hey, your kids are going to get this. And you think, oh, okay. <laughs> How am I going to deal with that information? But he builds an altar. An altar is a place of worship and prayer. Often in high places where we can be closer to God who's in heaven. Or a lot of times the people would build altars in places that were special. As a memorial to a place where God, God was here. And we bring an altar here because this is a special place now. And as he travels, he builds another altar where God tells him. Imagine Abraham stopping to worship God in the middle of the journey. He's celebrating a victory that was not won. He's praising God for answers he does not have. He calls out to God as he follows his calling in the waiting, in the wondering, in the wandering. Can we praise God before we have all the answers? Too often we're stubborn and we're angry with God because God hasn't given us the whole picture. And we, and we, we follow God's will, maybe, but we're kicking and screaming and frustrated and stomping and throwing fits every once in a while. But here's Abraham on his way to follow God's will and he doesn't know what it is and it's really, really scary and he keeps praising God and praying to God along the way. What a great example for us. And so starts the great adventure for Abraham, for the nation, and for the world. Do you know the Bible is an unfolding of the rest of this story? Because Abraham does have a son, Isaac. Okay? Isaac has a son, and Isaac's son has many sons. And a nation of Israel is born. But what do we see as this nation gets going? It runs into trouble, right? Trouble in Egypt, trouble in captivity. Even though God has set apart this nation, He set apart holy worship in this nation, the problem of sin persists. It just keeps going and going and going in the Bible, and the prophets want to know, what will God do about this? But then, out of Israel comes the ultimate blessing. Jesus would be that blessing promised to Abraham for the nations and for the nation of Israel. And he would die on a cross to take care of the sin problem. And then what do you notice? We keep reading the book and we get to Acts and we find that not only is this for the, for the nation of Israel, but we see this good news of Jesus and this answer to sin go out among the nations. And guess what? You're part of those nations. You're part of the people still being blessed because of this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Okay? The sin problem is still the sin problem in your life. And the blessing is still yours this many generations later. We are part of those nations that were blessed by Abraham. Because Jesus came through the line of Abraham. And it all started with a man named Abram. Getting called to do some crazy stuff. To leave his father's household and to go somewhere that God will show him. And God continues to lead his people till this day. And I wonder what God might be planning with you and with me and with our church.
We want to follow that calling. So let us learn how to listen to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your calling in our lives. We pray that we would hear it, that we would heed it, and that we would do the things that you call us to do. We thank you for your promises to be faithful to us. Help us to trust in Jesus' name. Amen.